Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday for November 4th, 2018. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us. It's a very significant weekend. Uh, Well, of course, daylight saving time ended, and we turned our clocks back. Sometimes we wonder, you know, spring forward, fall back. Do we gain an hour or lose an hour? Sometimes you can get confused. Time is a funny thing. Sometimes you're working so hard you get absorbed in a task or something, and then you uh, something brings you back to sense of time, and you say, oh, I was, I was just gone for a while. I was just so engrossed in what I was doing. And for that, for that maybe few seconds when you come back, to that sense of time, you don't know where you are or how much time went by. Um, those are interesting experiences. Um, <clears throat> and you know, when sometimes when they were um, Abraham Maslow and uh, humanistic psychology movement, uh, when. Uh, <clears throat> Humanistic psychology, this was probably in the 70s, and they started to study, you know, human potential, self-actualization, or as Maslow put it, you know, Freud dominated psychology, the the, uh, stereotype of psychology so much that it was associated with abnormal psychology. What what happens when things go wrong in someone's life and how they function? What about we're just humanistic psychology is trying to uh, sort of recheck the balance and show the other half. How about when things go right, when things are on all eight cylinders, when you see somebody who is living a very self-actualized life? Let's study that. Let's study love. Let's study you know uh, positive experiences. And one of the first things he did was just simply interviewed people. What was uh, the most ecstatic moment, you know, that you could remember? 
beautiful moment, wonderful moment, and just describe it. You know, what kind of moments were they? And an interesting observation is one of the characteristics was they weren't self-conscious of what they were doing. They were lost in that activity, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, graduation, a prom, uh, childbirth, some uh, nature aspect of seeing a sunrise or a sunset, things like this. It's only after the experience was over, then they said, oh, that was fantastic. That was great. Or that was certainly an experience. And then they'll think about it and of themselves experiencing it. But during the experience itself, ego was gone. Isn't that kind of interesting that the most ecstatic moments was when you're not thinking about yourself. Uh, no sense of time, place, no thinking about who you are. It's just the experience. No, no dancer, dancer, just dancing. <laughs> no singer, no song, just singing. Uh, this is what in the experiential world we would say, yeah, that's a world of oneness and experience. Um, also, just in a couple of days, we've got a big midterm election. And for We don't want to necessarily talk about politics, but it certainly is uh, getting a lot, taking a lot of time in the media and everything. And it's supposed to be uh, the most significant time to vote in your lifetime. It's going to set the direction of the country going forward. You know, you want your country to have a hopeful future or a fearful one, okay? And they 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 put it like that. Um, so I'm sure a lot of attention and will be on that for the next couple of days. So those are some <sighs> thoughts I had. Uh, as I think about November 4th, this Sunday. And uh, I want to move to introducing our guest to give us a Dharma glimpse today. This is Joe Hill. Uh, he's a member of the LM11A group. Okay, We call our uh, lay ministry groups, we started just with saying LM for lay minister, and then we started with LM1, 2, 3, now we're on 11, and this is the first time that we had so many applicants. We we were able to form two groups because you can't have uh, – uh, you have to limit the number of members in a group because they do have a weekly small group teleconference, and you can't have it too big. Otherwise, it, it goes too long and everything, so it's limited to about five, six people, and we you know we had over 10 people. Uh, and so we made a LM11A and B. So our guest is part of the LM11A group, lives in California. So let's hear from Joe Hill. Hello, Sensei, Sans, and Sangha. This is Joe from LM11 Alpha. Uh, this week we finished reading the Heart Sutra and Guillaume Sensei's comments on the Sutra. 
And if you have read it, then you likely experience the difficulty one can have trying to understand its wisdom. Nonetheless, Gyomei is very successful, at least for me anyways, in shedding light as to the sutra's wisdom, uh, despite the difficulties stemming from trying to explain in words what truly has to be experienced through living. The study of the sutra has led me to think a lot recently about language, uh, particularly English, uh, since it's my native tongue. And as I like to say, I only speak two languages, English and bad English. Uh, so I'll stick with something that I've had just over 40 years of, of practicing getting wrong. <laughs> so as you may remember from school, subjects and predicates make up the two basic structural parts of any complete English sentence. The subject we are taught is the person, place, or thing performing the action of the sentence. The sentence represents what or whom the sent or excuse me, the subject represents what or whom the sentence is about. For example, the lightning, with lightning being the subject. The predicate, on the other hand, expresses action or being within sentences and contains the verb. Using our subject lightning, we can add strikes to form a complete sentence, a lightning strikes. Now, I'm sure the last thing anyone wants is an English lesson, especially from someone from West Virginia, but there is a point to all this, so thank you for bearing and hanging in there with me. When reading or saying the sentence, the lightning strikes, it's as if the lightning and the striking are two separate things, but in reality, the lightning is the striking, thus one and not separate. And while there's tremendous value in language and in separating the lightning from the striking, our minds can sometimes be tricked into dualistic thinking and into believing that subjects are separate from their actions. Thus, when we read the Heart Sutra or anything really, we can be tricked into thinking that we are separate from the actions within the Sutra. Then with a little wisdom, we may start to think of ourselves as Shariputra and that Eva Lokasvara, and I know I butchered that, so here my whole English lesson just went out the door, represents all enlightened teachers imparting wisdom on us weary travelers. And with a little more wisdom, we may come to see ourselves as Avalokasvara, and as Guillaume stated, one more time, Avalokasvara must be you. And it's this realization that, that you are it right now, that you always have been it and you always will be it, is from the understanding that it is us who creates separateness, not only in the general sense of a subject and a verb, but in the more specific sense of a student and a teacher of enlightened and unenlightened. And this understanding is what Guillaume referred to as becoming one with the shore. And the problem with language and thinking is why he wrote that the mantra from the sutra couldn't be explained, but had to be experienced and tasted with life. And Guillaume went on to write, quote, if you really understand this Hana Senyo, then from there, gate gate to the other shore of enlightenment, complete and perfect, that is it. But that is not the end. Real life begins from there. Enlightenment is not the end. It is the beginning, a great turn of life, which is tremendous life. So I hope that each of us can live as it with a capital I and a capital T as soon as possible so we can express the great or excuse me, so we can experience the great turn of life and start living our most tremendous life possible. With the humblest of Gasha, thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank you very much. Very interesting topic. 
uh, when we think about the role of language and uh, it's such a powerful tool, but sometimes a tool becomes our master. You know, <laughs> we, we get so enamored with uh, the vehicle, you know, that we forget the destination was the most important thing. And sometimes in Buddhist literature it says, well, you use this vehicle, say a boat, to go across the river of ignorance, okay, so that you arrive on the shore of wisdom. And and we don't need that boat, that vehicle, once we get to our destination. But we fall in love with this beautiful vehicle. It's so beautiful, and we appreciated it so much that we we have to we get attached to it, and we carry it on our backs, you know, and it burdens us now when we should be freely going forward, okay, um, in the sort of wisdom and so forth, and we get we could weight ourselves down. So I guess another way to put it is concrete versus abstract, um, <clears throat> where, uh, you know, when we have concepts and language, uh, sometimes that tool becomes our master means like um or there's this sort of a humorous example of oh you give a a kid a hammer and he thinks everything's a nail this is how we often uh what in maybe science they say oh you find a, a very valuable method okay uh and then that starts to direct all the research because oh this is a neat method this is a very insightful method and you use it, start to use it to see. It's the, it's like a pair of glasses. You put it on and you see everything. Oh, how we how we could measure that and measure this when maybe it's not appropriate and you, and you misuse it when it's you know uh, it could mislead you. So uh, when we have something very valuable, this is a very Buddhistic thing, and I think in terms of perspective, or something that's so valuable, so neat. But then it becomes our our downfall, our enemy, our misleading. Uh, it dominates us too much, okay? And we and we get attached to it, and uh, so maybe when we think about an interesting turn of phrase, and you know, a lot of us like slogans and mottos and neat concepts that they are tools, they are the, you know, or the classic example of their fingers pointing to the truth. Finger like pointing to the moon, and yet like a young child, when you say, there's the moon, and you point your finger, and then the real young child looks at your finger because that motion catches their eye, and, and you say, no, no, not my finger, where I'm pointing to, way up there in the sky, okay? Um, so we, it, that seemed like a silly example, but in a more subtle way, we succumb to it in another kind of a context. Okay, um, and adults are not immune to the same things that real young children do, but it's just a little bit different context. Uh, or sometimes I was I I introduced the thing about no singer, no song, just the uh, the singing, the dancing. Uh, we shouldn't say. Enlightenment. We should say, you know, enlightening, or as a verb, not a noun. Because with the verb, it's a little bit more dynamic. But it should be even beyond 
verbs and nouns. But that kind of a oneness, I guess you might call it, okay? even though we have to be aware, beware of oneness as a concept, no, it's something you have to live, direct experience, you know. And I thought of a funny example of, of uh, I don't know where I heard this, this uh, phrase, but it said my, uh, you know, our karma ran over the dogma. Um, karma meaning, which means action, you know, your experience. You do things, okay, and that always trumps, if I could use that word, abstract concepts, okay. And usually abstract things like knowing a formula or an equation of something, abstract thinking. Young people, young children are not capable of abstract thinking until they get a certain age and they start to have the experience and their brain is such that they could uh, reason with logic. Okay, This is sort of more abstract. And uh, you usually rethink that this is intellectual concepts and things, and this is so overemphasized in our culture, I think. Okay? And it's so it's a powerful tool, okay, and it involves language, okay? But in a different context, namely spiritual growth, okay, and human experience, it could hinder uh, or even mislead us, okay, in our goals. Um well, literary things, turn of phrases are so great, but use them. I think the greatest thing is we use language because we have to use language. Okay? You know, well, it's a tremendous tool of communication, okay? even though there's nonverbal communication. But even there, we take that nonverbal ex- expression and we think about it in our heads using language, okay? Language is not just necessarily spoken word, but that's how we think. We need that language, okay? Uh, <laughs> when I heard the example of I speak only two languages, okay, I thought he was going to say the joke about, well, the two languages I speak. I speak two languages, you know. I speak English and Greek, and that's the joke about, you know, oh, that's Greek to me. That's Greek to me. I don't know why Greek would be so used as a uh, description or adjective for difficulty, you know, as, as a language. But bilingual, oh, I want to finish with this. <laughs> my, my association starts to spark off. And this is a humorous story about a parable about the mother cat taking her kittens for a walk. And this big dog, snarling dog, came barking at them. And she didn't know what to do. And she said, bow, wow. And that scared the dog and shocked them. And the dog ran away. And then the mother cat turned to her kittens and said, see, it pays to be bilingual. Okay, I know I... I could hear some groans that's a groaner. Um, but indeed, uh, use language as a tool. 
and uh, we have to be aware and beware okay, of its strengths and weaknesses. That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day. Thank you.